1: Welcome in again to the Pipeline podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo of mobpipeline.com. The prospect re-rank is out on MOBPipeline.com. A new top 100, new top 30s for every club. Also top 10 positional rankings have been updated. We're going to talk about that on this podcast. Also, a couple of big promotions over the last week. Yoan Moncada, the number one prospect in baseball, is up with the White Sox. And Rafael Devers is ready to make his major league debut for the Boston Red Sox. As part of our coverage of the new re-rank, though, we're excited to have Fernando Tatis Jr. joining us here on the podcast. Uh, Fernando Padres, shortstop prospect, checks in in the new top 100 at number 59. Fernando, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: I guess my first question for you is, um, you know, you got signed originally, obviously, by the White Sox and then traded and then really made your pro debut quickly after that um, last summer. How crazy has this last year been between the, the trade and then getting your start in pro ball last year and then having a great season so far this summer?
2: It, does, it is. It has been crazy, man. You know the fact that being traded at seventeen years old, it was something I never imagined. And you know, being here and probably already doing a good job, uh, I feel great. I feel great, great to be here.
0: Uh, Fernando, you know, a lot of people say that that you know the first full season, you know, when you have to play one hundred and forty games, it can be, it uh, can be really difficult. Uh, you know, you'll see guys kind of hit a wall and get tired. You seem to be. Gaining speed as we get later on in the year. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know the adjustments you had to make when you first got to the Midwest League and and what's really working for you so well now.
2: You know, uh, thanks God I have my dad always giving me advice all the time, and you know he told me about being like for you to have a good full season, you your body have to be your body have to be great. So you know I have to eat good, uh, I got to work hard on the gym and all that. And i gotta stay, I got to stay with strength. And, you know, I've uh, in the process, I've been feeling good, and I've, I feel great.
3: Fernando, you're a guy who's obviously having a great season across the board. I think the last time I checked, you had 17 homers, 22 steals, hitting 272 in a, in a league that might be the hardest league to hit in in the minors. What do you think is, is the best part of your game right now? And what do you think you need to work on the most?
2: You know – as being eighteen years old, I had to be working all the way around. You know I got to perf- uh, perfect my stuff and trying to be great and just keep the grind every day and just stay in focus and everything and all the way around so we can have for we can be successful in this game
0: Fernanda, we uh we've been getting a lot of questions uh, in terms of you getting promoted. I know a lot of Padre's fans would like to see you get bumped up to the California League. Before the year is over, is that is that something that you you know have a goal you know to, to try to, to earn that promotion or do you try not to to worry about that sort of stuff when you're out there?
2: You know, I would love to, to get promoted. You know, it's, it's, it's I think it's a big reward, but I don't I don't question my, the guy from you know my gym and all uh, Sam Guinea all those uh, the the boss and I just here yeah, and I'm just trying to do my job and. I just got to work hard every day over here.
3: Hey, you know, there's something else I guess that's beyond your control, but I'm curious if you pay attention to it or if you know what the players do. Uh, we, you know, we just released our top 100 prospects list. Uh, you know, you came in at number 59 on the top 100, and I think Johnson will back me up on this. We did a Twitter chat today, and I had a bunch of people saying, Fernando Tatis is too little. What's wrong with you guys? As a player... Do you pay attention to the rankings? Do you are you aware of them? Do you do other players pay attention to them, or is that something you just try to ignore and not worry about?
2: You know, it's something like I really don't pay attention, but you know, all the people around you're always talking about it, and I gotta hear it no matter what. So, <laughs> so it's always there, and I just hear them. But I don't worry. I don't worry like I'm out of people talking bad or good. I just trying to play my game, and trying to feel good, man.
0: Maybe you could just reach out to all of our Twitter followers and, and tell them that you don't care where you are on the list. That would do us a, a big favor. Thanks. Um, uh, in all seriousness, I wanted to ask you, I mean, there seems to be a ton of talent in, in, uh, in the Midwest League this year, a lot of young guys, a lot of guys that end up high on our list. I wanted to ask you specifically uh, about, uh, about Vlad Guerrero Jr., just because, I mean, I think the, the similarities are obvious. You know, some of the big leaguers playing as teenagers, playing extremely well in the Midwest League. Uh do you guys get to talk at all uh, about that and sort of compare notes, you know, where you are?
2: Oh yeah, we talk. Uh you know, we were together in the All Star game, we play against and uh, and we were then the Derby too. And yeah, we we talk a lot, you know, being Dominican and we just talk about it and we just I don't know, we just talk about what people said and we just push each other. And give advice to each other, and just keep the grind.
3: I'll follow up on that, Fernando, by asking another question about the Midwest League. You know, as Jonathan noted, you know, very talented, very deep, a lot of good prospects in the league. Who is the best pitcher you have faced in the in the Midwest League this year?
2: <laughs> the best pitcher. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good pitchers over here. There's, there's. I was say like. He's not a powerful guy, but he's pretty pretty smart pitching It's from like from David Cincinnati uh, Moss, the left mm-hmm. and i'll said that we i like i a pretty good closer but I don't remember the name, but yeah there's a there's pretty good arms over here, and pretty good guys that are smart pitching.
1: All right, Fernando. Well, thank you so much for taking some time for us. Congratulations on what has been a tremendous season for you so far, and good luck the rest of the way. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That was Fernando Tatis Jr., number 59, in the new Top 100 on MLBPipeline.com. And, guys, we were talking a little bit before he joined us here on the podcast. He was the last prospect traded away by the White Sox before uh, this massive rebuild that has brought so many prospects into the system, um, Jonathan. Maybe he goes down. At one of the things in his bio is that the last White Sox prospect <laughs> traded before the great rebuild.
2: Right. It's it's kind of one
0: of those things that you almost forgot about. Uh, and I mean, can, can only imagine uh, the the frenzy uh, as it is. White Sox fans are are very excited about their farm system and and where it stacks up with all the guys in the top 100. And throwing a guy with. Like Tatis, who, you know, as we said, is 59 with a, a very large up arrow next to his name, You know, a guy who could easily make another large leap up the list next year if he continues to do what he's going to do. I mean, he is on pace to, to be a 2020 guy in the very near future. Uh, Scott Kingery is the only other guy, last I checked, who actually has gotten there already for years. So, uh, yeah, that would that would be fairly insane if he were actually still a part of that system.
1: Jim, when you look at uh, Ted Tees Jr., he's a he's a big shortstop. Uh, is there an easy comp for him as far as big leaguers right now?
3: Um, you know, I don't know if there's an easy comp. I mean, you know, with any big shortstop, you always hear talk that, you know, he might wind up moving uh to third base down the road you know, I mean, the thing that impresses me is for a guy who's supposed to be you know more of a kind of average runner you know not not really more than that you know maybe even a fringy runner he's got 22 steals i don't think he'll necessarily continue to be that prolific a stolen base guy but you know i mean we're talking about a, a an 18 year old kid who's you know one of the youngest players in midwest league who, who's already shown he can do a little bit of everything it, it's very impressive
1: All right, we're going to look more into the top 100 here in a second. Before we switch over, though, we want to take a moment to tell you about the cut forecast. The cut forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's cut force section which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, we think you'll enjoy that podcast, too. It'll make you laugh, and you might even learn something about baseball dogs or ballpark food. Last week's episode broke down a long-lost game of catch between Torrey Hunter and a young George Springer, the time Little League Todd Frazier met Derek Jeter and a ranking of the most perfect, perfect games in baseball history. If that sounds like something you're into, search Cut Forecast. That's C-U-T, the number four, C-A-S-T in iTunes or wherever else your podcasts are found, and click subscribe. Now on with our show and on with more into the new re-rank. And uh, I just want to start at the top because... I think that's where a lot of the interest here as far as the re rank is. Uh, Jonathan, you wrote the kind of the synopsis on MLBpipeline.com. The top 11 players in the top 100 are hitters, and the top eight prospects are international signs. Both of those numbers just seem shocking to me in, in, a, in a way, and really it's unprecedented, right?
0: It really is. And we, uh, we went back all the way to 1990. Uh, using the list from Baseball America to you know to to go beyond when we started doing lists on on MLB.com and uh, neither neither have happened um, and the you know and I think you know there, without having done the exhaustive research in terms of the like number of hitters in the top ten or eleven in, in the past uh, there have probably been times where it's been a large majority of offensive players but the the, the international thing. Really, really stood out, because going all the way back to 1990, there would have only been one time that the top two were international players, let alone the top eight. That was 97, uh, and I bet, Jim, you remember who the top two was in 1997.
3: Andrew Jones and Vladimir uh, Guerrero?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the two things that sort of jumped out, I I always can rely on Jim's institutional baseball America memory. It's uncanny. But so the fact that it was that long ago, and the fact that it was Vladimir Guerrero, and now his kid is in the top 10, um, which just shows that we're old.
1: Yeah, uh, so just to give people the top ten if they haven't seen it uh, in that top eight on the international side, Yohan Moncada stays put at number one, then it's the Mets and Med Rosario. Gleyber Torres, despite the injury in the Yankee system, is number three. Rafael Devers, who has just been called up by the Red Sox at four. Victor Robles is of the Nationals, five. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is six. Aloy Jimenez just traded across Chicago, number seven. Ronald Acuna, who is really skyrocketing with the Braves at number eight. And then the two drafted players, uh, Brandon Rodgers, number nine, with the Rockies, and Kyle Tucker, number 10, with the Astros. Um, Jim, when you put this list together, and, and obviously the group of you with Pipeline all together, besides those numbers at the top, did anything else stand out to you?
3: Um. Well, I mean, just like we said, I mean, one, the international ones, and the fact that there just aren't a lot of pitchers, you know, at the top. And when we saw that coming into the year and at the end of last year, I think that, what, the top 11 guys are – position players, um, and then behind them you you have about four pitchers in the teens, and then there aren't very many pitchers after that. So it's, you know, I think it's cyclical. I don't think there's a a shortage of hitters or an abundance of position players, but, uh, you know, the the, the thing with the international guys at the top of the list, and obviously it's not like we sit there and and take that into account when we vote, and I hadn't really even thought of of it until I was looking at the list when it was done and saying, wow, you know, that's just very, very striking.
1: Obviously this is a point, this in the the spring when the list comes out and now the re-rank where fans uh, get excited about these lists and often get angry as well, as we know. But that's what you want in a list is you want to create discussion and, and it's a lot of fun because of that. And teams that know they have a lot of prospects are always pushing for that, who has the best system. And I know you guys will put those rankings out at a later date, but you do do the prospect points which isn't really the best system, but it takes into account um, guys in the top 100 and the ratings. I guess number one gets 100 points all the way down to number 100 getting one point. So when you look at the prospect points, it was a tie this time around, and no surprise, right? White Sox and Braves checking in top two as far as prospect points go. Despite that, Jonathan, is there still been some pushback from the Braves fans? Because I know they, in the last year or two, that fan base has been – very protective of their prospects.
0: They're, they're very active. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's no question. Yeah, I love the fact that that they finished in a in a tie. I was waiting for someone to, uh, you know, accuse us of, of rigging the system, uh, because in the days leading up to this, there had been a, a nice little battle between the White Sox and Braves fans over which, uh, you know, which system is better. Um, not quite, you know, the Sharks versus the Jets, but uh, a little West Side Story reference there for you. Um, but uh, but so I like that that they ended up absolutely tied. But yes, of course, um, the the Braves fans in particular, uh, you know, there are a lot of people think that Ronald Acuna should be n- the number one prospect in all of baseball. How could he be, be behind Victor Robles and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because he's in Triple A? And you know, then you know, why isn't Joey Wentz in the top ten? Uh, I mean, sorry, in the top one hundred. Uh, you know, you've got nine nine players in the top 100. That's more than any team. So um, take a breath and relax. Uh, you know, it's really all about how they perform once they're in the big leagues. But it's a very very good system. The White Sox are a really good system. The Yankees are a really good system. I saw Jim. We did Twitter chats today, and I saw Jim sort of someone had asked about top five systems, and you know, we will sort of quote unquote officially do that in the story that Jim will write uh, after the deadline. Uh, but those are the top three systems I don't think anyone could, could argue, and you probably could make arguments to, to stack them up any which way in the top three.
1: I was going to say the Braves' nine prospects in the top 100, the White Sox with eight, uh, but is it fair to say, Jim, that the Yankees' system is, even though not as high as far as prospect points, maybe deeper?
3: Yeah, I do think the Yankees have the deepest farm system uh, in terms, you know, however you want to measure that, if it's, I, I think they do have the most prospects with overall 50 grades. Not that that's the most scientific way to do it. I do think unofficially, if you were looking at guys who were top 30 worthy on an average club, I feel like I, I write our Yankees list. I feel like I could come up with 45 or 50 Yankees. Um, it's just incredible depth. That's even after trading Blake Rutherford. Uh, to the White Sox in the trade the other day for Todd Frazier and, and David Robertson and Tommy Canley, but incredibly deep system. And, you know, I was mulling this over a little bit more. The other team that I think would be right there with them and maybe in that, in that it's at the top, you know, maybe the fourth team would be the Padres. I think the Padres also have, uh, you know, a lot of top 100 talent and also incredible depth. So those, those would probably be my top four farm systems off the top of my head.
1: The other thing that always uh, is interesting when you come out with the new list is who's really moving uh, up that list. And, Jonathan, in your article you broke it down in two ways, top risers within the list, and then I think uh, top new arrivals, right? Uh, as far as top risers in the list, Bo Bichette jumping up 71 spots for the Blue Jays, uh, Juan Soto 59 for the Nationals to number 42. Franklin Perez is at forty-six. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, 52 for the Phillies, and Jack Flaherty, number 53 for the Cardinals. Uh, what has Bo Bichette done here recently for him to propel that far? 71 spots.
0: Uh, hit. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, I mean, I remember coming out of the draft, you know, Hearing about him, and he went before my estimation and i do i do Florida for the draft, and you know I guess I have to admit that I kind of missed on him, but like people were not how did you not know enough. he
3: was going to hit three eighty four this year Jonathan how did you I miss mean that?
0: the the crazy thing is i mean he got promoted you know of all those like sort of you know we were talking about the midwest league and he uh, he spent you know seventy games there and now he's moved up to the Florida State League and he's still hitting uh three eighty five in his first thirteen games there um He's been insane, uh, you know. I don't, I don't know how he could possibly keep this up, but I mean, he's hitting for average. He's ridiculous amount of extra base power. Uh, he's not striking out much. He's drawing walks. I mean, it's uh, it's been as impressive as just about anybody. So I mean, I think he, he's the guy that it may you know, made sense to, to make the sort of large jump from, uh, you know, from, from where he started to, to where he is right now.
1: And then uh, Walker Bueller is, I guess, up 80 spots. Uh, Jim, he's one of those pitchers, and he checks in, I guess, number two as far as pitchers go. He's number 13, Michael Kopech, number 12, and then Brent Honeywell is right behind them at number 14. We mentioned this list so heavy at the top as far as the bats. But, but there is that, that three, those three guys right there, and then you have Alex Reyes at 17. Obviously, he's out this year with the Tommy John surgery. Um, but how close are those three guys in your mind, Kopech, Bueller, and Honeywell? Because all three of those guys are getting pretty close to getting to the big leagues, too.
3: Yeah, they, they are all close. I mean, it just kind of depends on how you could argue. I think you could argue those guys in any order. I mean, Kopech has the best pure stuff and the least control of it of the three. Bueller probably has the best combination of stuff and control. And I think Honeywell's stuff, while not as overpowering, he might have the best command of it, and his stuff's pretty good too. And, you know, Bueller's a guy who, you know, we snuck on to the top 100 prospect list coming into season. I think he pitched – uh, maybe five or six innings total, not counting the playoffs last year, coming back from Tommy John surgery after being drafted in, in 2015 and, and having Tommy John surgery almost immediately. And the question was, I mean, his, his stuff looked great. Bueller's stuff, and Bueller's a guy, you know, going back to the draft in, in 2015, going into the year, we ranked him ahead of Dansby Swanson, who went number one overall. We ranked him ahead of Carson Fulmer, who went number eight. Um, but he hurt his elbow that spring and pitched through it. But at the time, I mean, Bueller had – Kind of solid stuff, you know, 90, 94 most of the time. You know, good array of secondary pitches, but nothing overwhelming. And he controlled it well. So it was kind of a, you know, that was his profile. And since Tommy John surgery, he came back last year, mid 90s, hitting 99. Um, his curveball and slider have both gotten a lot more power to them. up's still pretty good. Um, and, you know, it was okay. It was short stints. You know, hadn't seen, you know, can he hold that stuff over any kind of period of time? And and he has. So that was the question coming in. And I, I liked him, even if this stuff settled back down into maybe before, somewhere between where it was and how he looked when he first came back and was pitching one or two innings at a time, he would have been a pretty good pitcher. But, I mean, he, he's maintained that stuff this year. And I, it would not shock me um, you know, that they, they've done a good job of keeping his innings down. This is the first time he's really pitching pro ball. He's only at about 65 innings. It, it wouldn't shock me if we maybe saw him in the bullpen in September in Los Angeles as kind of an audition to see whether they want to put him on the postseason roster.
1: When you put together any list, obviously there's, there's some jockeying between you guys and Mike Rosenbaum in, involved as well. Um, and there's got to be guys that you wanted to see on the top 100 that didn't make it. And I know, Jim, in your Twitter, you said, I love the list. But I know even though you love the list, not, it's, it's not your top 100 list. It's the collective pipeline top 100 list. So I want you each to give me a guy that, that you wish was on there that didn't quite make it, that you were overruled on. I'll start with you, Jonathan. Who's your number 101?
0: Yeah, I have to say that uh, Jim was very selfish in that tweet. <laughs> I would not have chosen to, to publicly stated anything of that nature. Um, but since he opened that door, you know, I'm trying to. I'm actually trying to stall for time as I look at, uh, <laughs> at, at, my, at my list. Um, uh, you know, it's funny because I did. I did look at it later. We all have. We all have guys that we like, uh, but you know, it's one of the reasons why I like having the the three of us. Uh, you know, do it because it offsets. Because sometimes you like a guy too much, especially because if it's a guy, you know, a guy from. Uh, a team that we do, we may, we might like him more than we should. Um, So, but if I'm going to pick, I think I'm going to throw out two guys, one hitter and one pitcher. And I'm sort of contradicting myself a little bit based on where I voted to have them be replacements, but that's neither here nor there. One, one is Harrison Bader, the Cardinals outfielder, uh, who has flirted with the top 100 at times. He's been a replacement. Um, He'll be on the list of our replacements and could sort of, Find his way onto the list eventually, although I don't think he's not at the top of that uh, of that list. I feel like we kind of keep under underrating him. Um, then uh, you know Tyler O'Neill, who's also with the Cardinals, uh, uh, is a guy that uh, you know, and that was that was a more retrospect kind of thing after we were done with the voting. I was like, you yeah, know, I, I think I didn't vote for him as high, as high as I should. And then the one pitcher that I put on there, and this is a uh, testament to, like, I do the Phillies list, so I had Franklin Killamay, uh, who, who I think eventually will be on the list. Uh, he's been pitching well in, in the Florida State League. He's really young for his level. Um, but he was a, the guy that I voted for not only higher than everybody else, uh, but you know, but neither Mike nor Jim even put him in their top 110 when we voted, uh, which is fine. You know, again, I think that was a, a Phillies-colored glasses on uh, because I happen to do their top 30, and I do like him a lot.
1: All right, Jim, you're up, and you can obviously pick as many players as you'd like.
3: I'll pick eight. No, I'll, I'll <laughs> go hitter and pitcher. I mean, the, the hitter I, I would put on the list, my next hitter would be Bobby Bradley, the Indians. I mean, he's an all bad guy. I mean, he does strike out some. But there's a lot of power there, and I think he'll hit for enough average to really get to that power. So I, I kind of like Bobby Bradley. I mean, there's you know doing these lists. I think we we're talking about it before we we came on the air too, Tim. I mean, you, there's not room for everybody you, you want on the list. I mean, I like guys like Miguel andahar and, and Michael Chavis. I mean, there, there's a ton of hitters. You know, but you, you you run out of spots at 100. And, and pitching wise, even though he he's had Tommy John surgery and won't be back for a while. I, you know, you guys know I was very high on Braxton Garrett, and, and I guess I would take the position that, you know, most guys do come back from Tommy John's surgery, you know, pretty well. I mean, Walker Bueller's another example. You know, Brady Aiken and, and John Lamb might be counterpoints to that argument, but I, I really like Braxton Garrett in last year's draft, and I still would squeeze him on at the bottom if if it were if it were up to me. So those would probably be the, the hitter and pitcher that I, I, I like the most who didn't make the list.
1: All right, and if you're listening, make sure you get over to MLBPipeline.com. Check out the full list, obviously the positional rankings as well, and uh, get involved in the argument, whether it be on Twitter or the comments section. Uh, Before we go, I wanted to talk about those two big promotions over the last week, uh, Yohan Moncada and Rafael Devers. Uh, One guy we've seen before in the big leagues, Moncada, a year ago with the Red Sox, came up and really struggled, struck out a lot. He's come up this year with the White Sox. And while he did uh, strike out four times on Monday, overall, the strikeouts have been down, but the contact not necessarily up. He struggled again. Um, Is it just a matter of time? I'll let you go on this, Jim, because I know you were kind of uh, you've always been a huge Moncada guy from all the way back with the Red Sox. is this just a matter of time before he kind of clicks at the major league level? Um, do you expect from this season overall, when we look back at the end of September, to be a big difference from a year ago with what he did at the major league level?
3: Um, I, I mean, I don't know if it'll be a huge difference immediately. I, I still think this guy is going to be a star in the long run. He, he cut the strikeouts down until the other day when he, when he, I think, struck out, what, four times in, in one game. Um you know I think what the White Sox are doing here is smart and I think it's different than what the what the Red Sox did last year. I mean I I always thought it was a little bit odd to promote the guy to the big leagues when he's learning a new position on the fly, he's barely played in AAA and you're in the middle of a middle of a pennant race. I, like I mean, you know, and in Boston, like I don't know, you know, how much more pressure you could have put on him. Um <laughs> really, uh, you know, I mean, maybe uh, hey, well, we're going to make you a catcher, you Well, we'll make it even more <laughs> difficult. You know, and this year I think what's different is, is he's on a team that's not playing for now, and I think it, it it's a situation where you know, does he need to cut his strikeouts down? Yes. I don't think there's a whole lot else for him to prove in AAA. And so you let him come up and get a couple hundred at-bats under his belt, to have him better prepared for next year, and laying the groundwork for when they're going to contend again probably you know 2019 or so. So I don't even know if it really matters what the numbers look like this year as it just is exposing him to big league pitching on a daily basis and getting him acclimated.
1: Jonathan, do you think the fact that he's back to his natural position of second base with the White Sox is going to help him out just from a comfort level standpoint?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think so, absolutely. And the fact that they're not, uh, they're not competing, you know, as Jim pointed out, that was just a ridiculous situation. And, uh, and it's fine. I mean, people were, you know, going bonkers last year after that very brief, sam- you know, small sample size of, of struggling. And now that he's added, you know, a whopping 18 more at-bats, that's, you know, proof confirmation that they're that they're right you know give the guy some time to to acclimate himself uh, you know it remains to be seen what he does are there adjustments he needs to make of course um you know uh, and i'm not saying that he's going to be the next mike trout but mike trout's first call up did not go very well um you know so uh, you have to give guys at least a little bit of time not everyone is Cody Bellinger, you know, comes up and just sets the world on fire right out of the gate. It it just doesn't happen. In fact, I would think more often than not, uh, maybe not, you know, two for 18, but guys will struggle. Um, and the fact that it's, you know, 0 for 12 right away or, you know, whatever, or two for 18 right at the gate. It stands out a lot more. Just like when a guy starts a, a season with an 0 for 15 and everyone thinks what's wrong with him, he, Players go over 15 in the middle of the year all the time, um, you know. So uh, I think everyone just needs to to relax a little bit and just let him do his thing and and wait before you you know jump to any ridiculous conclusions.
1: Speaking of Red Sox prospects being called up in the middle of a heated pennant race at a young age to play third base, we move on to Rafael Devers, uh, who will make his major league debut tonight. It is Tuesday as we record this podcast out in Seattle. Uh, which is actually the same place where Andrew Benintendi made his big league debut a year ago with the Red Sox. And that was a run that went really well for Boston. Um, But it seems like a scenario here, Jim, where you get the feeling the Red Sox really thought they were going to get Todd Frazier and he ended up going to the Yankees and whether or not this is a fact, I I don't know, but it seems like that happened. And then after about a week in triple a, when that didn't go the way they had hoped they end up going to Devers, and it feels like maybe a little bit of a desperation move to see what Devers can do, but I guess you can't lose because maybe he does hit, and then you've solved your one of your big problems without trading away more pieces.
3: I, I wonder how much of it is gamesmanship where – Yeah, I mean, you know, he's number four on the top 100 prospects list. He's one of the the better hitters in the entire minor leagues. And and maybe you're sending a message to other teams that may or may not be trying to hold you up in a trade for a big league third baseman. Hey, we don't have to overpay because we've got Rafael Devers. And, you know, we're fine going with that. I I still wouldn't rule out that they make a trade to acquire a veteran third baseman because even if Devers plays reasonably well, he's platooning with Devin Marrero. And and Devin Marrero is not a guy, you know, he's a glove guy. You don't want Devin Marrero platooning at third base trying to provide offense. So they still need help there regardless. So I I think it's maybe there's some gamesmanship in that move. But, you know, maybe this is a franchise that, you know, has had success. In 2013, Xander Bogarts came up late in the year, was a key part of their World Series championship. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Benintendi played very well last year. Was as good a hitter as anybody on the roster in the in the AL Division Series sweep at the hands of the Indians last year. And then you have Mankata, who I think his situation was a little different because you were you you were trying to force him to learn a new position. he barely played, you know, on the job in the big leagues, and he'd barely played at all in AAA. Now, if you're trying to draw parallels between the Devers and those other guys, uh, but um, Game, Bogarts is what I'm trying to search for. Bogart's played a lot more in AAA A than, than Devers did. Devers has been there for about a week. Uh, Mancata is closer to to him in, in that regard. And then if you're looking at say strikeout to walk ratio is a, a quick and dirty way to to look at how guys were, were handling the strike zone. Again, I think he's closer to Mancada than he was to to Benintendi or or to Bogart. So. I don't know if he's in the best position to have success here, but at the same time, you know, look, I think down the road, you're you're probably looking at a 280-25 homer guy in Devers, you know, maybe more. I mean, he's that good. But the good news is if you're the Red Sox, you don't have to get that from him right now. If he hits 250 with with some power, that's a huge upgrade over what you're getting at third base, where, I mean, the Red Sox have had the the worst – Offensive performance and made the second most errors of any team in baseball at third.
1: Yeah, it's really been a black hole from uh, Pablo Sandoval to all the guys they've tried to replace him with. And Brock Holt, who you would hope could step in there, has been battling vertigo all season as well. So there's been nothing coming from that position. Uh, Jonathan, uh, the best thing I've heard about Devers defensively, I think, was eventually he's going to be solid, which doesn't seem like a ringing endorsement. <laughs> uh is he going to be okay over there? I mean, it's not like Moncada, where he's learning the position. He has been a third baseman all the way up through.
0: I, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, he's worked at it. Um, I think there are probably some people who thought he may have had to have moved would have had to have moved already. Um, but he got in better shape. He's worked on his defense. Um, you know, he's not going to be Manny Machado, but uh, who is? Uh, But I I think he'll be fine, you know, as long as as he doesn't let the game speed up too much at the higher level. I mean, we're talking, what, 35 AAA at-bats, you know, so he doesn't have a ton of time at the upper levels. Uh, So as long as he just does what he can do and doesn't try to do too much, I think think he'll be fine in the short term. And long term, you know, we'll have – have to wait and see he's so young uh that it's hard to know like which way his body will go you know every everybody tends to to, to lose a step uh except for jim jim's gotten quicker as he's gotten older <laughs> but the rest of us slow down and and uh, he'll probably slow down so i mean maybe eventually he has to move over to first but i think he has a chance to, to to play third base for a while and you know like a major league average third base with a good arm so i, I think he'll be fine
1: And next week on this podcast, we can jump to conclusions about the first week of the Raphael Devers uh, experiment in Boston. So we will see. But uh, great stuff, guys. As always, uh, make sure you get out there and check out the MLBpipeline.com. New re-rankings, the top 100, the positional rankings, and the top 30s for every team. It's fresh off the presses. Great stuff by uh, Jim and Jonathan and everybody with the Pipeline team. That's going to do it for another edition of the Pipeline podcast. Thanks for joining us.